Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 turn to daniel chapter one daniel chapter one we've got a little bit of work to do this morning as we jump into uh the book of daniel i'm excited to get back into daniel i actually started reading it during um covid uh when i was down with it i started uh picking up uh the book and just starting started reading through the Bible and then somebody had given me a book on Daniel that was pretty phenomenal and um, I think it's right uh, for today as we begin our journey through the book of Daniel I'm praying that God will just work in your heart transform your heart especially in this season that we live in not just in the country but in the world that we would see truly what God is doing and wanting to do through us. So Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses as we begin this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, uh, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, of the tribe of Judah and the chiefs of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael, called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you once again. And uh, as we get into the book of Daniel, I pray that our hearts would be moved. It wouldn't just be something that we learn, but it's something that would transform us. Your word is powerful. Your word will endure forever. May our hearts be open to what you would have to say to us this morning, Lord God. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. 
The, the book of Daniel, first of all, so you know where it sets in the canon of Scripture, would be the last of the major prophets. It's right before the minor prophets begin. And as we look at the book of Daniel, we're going to see some amazing things. Uh, why, really, he is considered uh, to be one of the major prophets. Now, when we look at the minor prophets, generally due to their length, um, but not their message. Their message is just as powerful. But Daniel is very, very unique because I believe you need to have somewhat of an understanding of it in order to even get into the book of Revelation. If I had things to do over again before we went through the book of Revelation, I probably would have jumped into the book of Daniel. But we have those on CDs if you care to go back and relive uh, our days in the book of Revelation. When you look at the book of Daniel, it can basically be divided into two parts. You can look at chapters 1 through 6 and then chapters 7 through 12. Chapters 1 through 6 is basically dealing with Daniel's life, how he lives in, in Babylon, his loyalty to God, um, the things that he's challenged with, he and his three buddies. Uh, when you get into the final 7 through 12, you're looking at mainly the message of the book of Daniel. So you could maybe say the first six chapters are dealing with the prophet, the final uh, six chapters are dealing with the prophecies, although some of that overlaps. Now the book bears the author's name, Daniel. But even though it bears the, the author's name and the events were written in scripture that were going to take place in the future, the critics come back and they say there's no way that a man named Daniel could have written those things in that book because they are exact prophecies with incredible accuracy. You're going to be blown away when you see some of this because Daniel's going to prophesy the rise and fall of nations, the, the rise and fall of, of superpowers, world superpowers, just like it had happened in history. So the critics will say, nah, he couldn't have written those things beforehand. He had to have written them in the second century AD and under a pseudo autograph, another, a pseudo author, a false author, somebody that's declaring the name of Daniel, but really wasn't in living in the time of Nebuchadnezzar the king, the Babylonian kingdom, and they begin to take these pop shots at the scriptures. But I would just say two things as we begin. Number one, Ezekiel, who lived in the sixth century, the time of Daniel, he mentions Daniel three times in his book. He mentions him along with Noah and along with Job as righteous people. And secondly, and I think it settles it, is what Jesus said in Matthew 24 when he said in Matthew 24, verse 15, speaking of the future events, so when you see the abomination and desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. If Jesus refers to Daniel as the prophet, not a pseudo-author, I think that's good enough for me, and that settles it. Because Jesus didn't lie, he didn't exaggerate. What you see in the words of Jesus are absolutely what he said and cannot be dismantled. Now, there's a few different themes in the book of Daniel I think that's important 
Um, we're going to cover those as we go through. But there's two primary themes as we jump into the book of Daniel, which I believe is relevant for us today. This is why I was excited about the book of Daniel, because of where we are as a nation where we are as the world, as we look at world scene and as we see things developing and we continue to keep our heart towards heaven, and we run into a little bit of trials right now. I think you would all agree that life can be challenging and life can be difficult concerning our faith. Well, the two themes that are major in the book of Daniel would be, one, God's sovereignty and two, Daniel's loyalty. When we speak of God's sovereignty again, we're going to see how he deals with nations, how he absolutely is in control of all of history. You've heard it from this pulpit before. You actually see it in the book of Daniel in incredible depth, and we're going to get into that. When we speak of Daniel's loyalty, we're going to see a man who's living in a pagan culture that is anti-God, everything against God, and how he was loyal and faithful to his God, even though he held a high position in the administration, which kind of gives me hope too. There are people in the higher-ups of this country that really understand the things of God. And I think it's important that we understand God's sovereignty today uh, more than ever because of what we see going on in the country, we see legislation being passed that really doesn't jive with the Bible. We see things happening on the public school campuses that really are totally against what the scriptures say. And you say to yourself at times, what hope? Well, I want to say that God's people are not hindered by the things of the world. We walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We live according to the word of God. It doesn't matter what happens around us. What God calls us to is a life of faithfulness. And we're going to see in here where sin has led the people into their captivity. You need to understand that even though we live in New Testament times and we live under the grace of God, it does not give us a driver's license to go live any way we want. God will bring judgment. I believe when we look at the book of Daniel, it parallels even our relationship with the Lord that God doesn't cast his people off forever, but he certainly brings them under the disciplinary hand of his work in order to bring correction in their life. Just like you and I, when we get saved, we are eternally secure. We're saved by God's working in our lives. But if you continue to go down the road of sin, if you continue to live the way you want to live, I guarantee you're going to fall under the disciplinary hand of God. We've seen it over and over and over again. So we've got Daniel in Babylon. And I think it's safe to say that America is quickly becoming like Babylon. That when we look at the sinfulness of the people in Babylon and we see the treachery going on and we see their anti-God stance... I think we could safely say that, man, we're living in those times, that we're getting closer and closer to what it looks like as far as Babylon. I just read that last month the Methodist Church in Illinois confirmed a drag queen as a candidate for ordained ministry. He wore wigs and full makeup while participating in his church's drag Sunday in April. And this is happening today. That, that churches are even going off the deep end. They're no longer sticking to the word of God. 
They're no longer honoring God by obeying his word. doesn't matter what we say, friends. Obedience has to back up our speech. And that's what's encouraging, I think, about the book of Daniel. We're going to talk just about two things this morning, two major points. Got a bunch of subpoints under that. But the two major points will be the historical situation. I think it's important that we understand what's going on historically when this book unfolds. Also, uh, we want to look at a little bit of practical application. Okay, God's word, Daniel, written 2,500 years ago. How does that apply in my life today? And I think we want to look at those two things. And when we get into the historical situation, as we open up the book of Daniel, I'm going to zero in on primarily three things. I want you to see God's people in their captivity. I want you to see God's power and his sovereignty. And then I want you to see God's people and their identity, because that really applies to you and I today. So let's jump into it. Historical situation. We need to understand that the book of Daniel was not a fairy tale. It was written uh, with real people in real circumstances and a real God working among his people. First thing we want to see is God's people and their captivity. We see that in verses 1 and 2. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now these are God's people. These are his chosen people. And they're now seeing in the third reign of one of their kings, a guy named Jehoiakim, that all of a sudden an enemy world superpower comes down and besieges the city. Now, let me say this before we move on. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 25 and chapter 49, it says that this event took place in the fourth year of King Jehoiakim. And again, the critics want to attack the Bible, but there's an easy answer to that. Jeremiah was going by a Judean calendar or chronological order of the kings where uh, Daniel was using a Babylon, Babylonian chronological order of the kings and they, he didn't count the accession year because it wasn't one full year of his reign. So when you see King Jehoiakim in his third year of reign here in verse 1 and Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 49 says in the fourth year of his reign, that is no problem at all. Really, the discrepancy is solved by the different calendaring that they're using at that time. So, we see here in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim, even though they lived in a culture that was supposed to have the one true God reigning and ruling over him, this guy was as wicked to the core as possibly can be. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 5, it says Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. That's young. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And watch this. This is his character evaluation from God. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Now, it's not like he didn't hear God's word. He heard it plenty. In fact, if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 36, you can do it later. But in Jeremiah chapter 36, a, a situation comes up, and this is where God's grace, you got to remember, God's grace is always available even in the midst of when judgment is falling. 
And so in Jeremiah chapter 36, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and he takes it and he writes it on a scroll. He gives it to somebody to deliver it to the king's court. And somebody begins to read this to King Jehoiakim. And as the guy's reading it, the Bible says that Jehoiakim started to cut off portions of God's word. The guy would read for a little bit. It'd be like your Bible. You're reading for a little, I don't like that. Boom, you tear it out. And so Jehoiakim was hearing the word of God. And what did he do? And what was his response? He would take a knife and he would cut it. And then he threw it in the fire and burned it. You say, wow, how can somebody do that? I mean, really, this is God's word coming from the prophet Jeremiah, and he doesn't bow his knee to him. Sometimes we do that. We we may not rip pages out of our scripture, but every time your heart says, I don't receive that, or I don't receive this and that, you're burning the word of God. You're not receiving the word of God. You're burning it every time the preacher preaches from the pulpit and gives you the word of God. You're acting like Jehoiakim. You're doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. You're hearing the word, but you're burning it in your heart. And we're not supposed to do that. Jehoiakim became um, a wicked king that led the rest of the people down the road of depravity. And there's a tipping point with God that you see in the scriptures that All of a sudden, iniquity hits a certain point, and boom, judgment comes. And if judgment comes to a nation, it's going to come to God's people, too, because we live in that nation. And see, so so don't think that God is not aware of what's happening in, in nations around the world, and don't think that when you read the paper and you start to see this, this China doing this, or Russia doing this, or the United States doing this, that God is out of control. He's absolutely in control, as you're going to see in just a moment. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the probably most um, powerful monarchs that ever lived. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't play games with him. He, he was an a, a amazing leader, but he could lead a, an army into battle. He was one that would be involved in battles himself. And Nebuchadnezzar was a godless man. He was a depraved man, but he led people. And, and he thought he was God himself. In fact, when it talks about God ruling the affairs of people, I mean, we look at him, we know that God set him up where he is, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that, and God's going to humble him. But Nebuchadnezzar was an amazing builder, too. Imagine Daniel and his buddies being taken captive. At 605 B.C., they're being taken captive, right? There were three campaigns. You had one in 605 B.C., you had... Um, one in 597 or 96 B.C., and then you have the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Daniel and his buddies were taken away in 605, the first invasion, right after the Battle of Carchemish, when Nebuchadnezzar defeats the Egyptians. He says, well, since Jerusalem and those people in Judah are allies of Egypt, I'm going to just, since we're in the area, go take care of them too. So they go down and they besiege the city, but they don't really destroy it until a few years later. But they do take some people captive, and Daniel and his friends go captive, and they go into this city. They're coming from Jerusalem, and they're going into this amazing city. It it would have been the city of its time. Nebuchadnezzar was a builder, 
He built so many things. In fact, the excavations show that he stamped his bricks. He put his name on all of the bricks that were being built. In fact, nine out of ten bricks that were discovered in the excavations of Babylon bear his name. It would be like a label or something. He wanted to make sure that I'm the guy who builds all these things. He built the hanging gardens of Babylon, which ancient writers said was one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And so the guy was into building. In fact, my seminary professor who taught me in the book of Daniel, he actually uh, translated the book of Daniel into the NIV version. He was, he was the one that headed up that committee over Daniel. He had a brick that he brought into class one day with Nebuchadnezzar's stamp on it. So I actually saw one of the bricks from his day. Um, it got to hold it, got to feel it. He said, make sure you don't drop that. You know, and uh, students are like with fear and trembling as they're passing that because it was so old. But it had his stamp right on it. It had his name uh, stamped right on it. It was pretty interesting. And that's what kind of guy he just wanted to build. He was going to take people captive. He does that now. Babylon is, is located in modern-day Iraq. And God is going to use him as a tool to discipline his own um, people with it. Now, when we look at that first verse and we see Judah and Babylon or Jerusalem and Babylon, you always see this contrast between the two cities through Scripture. You see Babylon and you see Jerusalem. Babylon was everything that was against God, where Jerusalem was God's holy city. So when we look at Babel, we look back at Shinar in, in Genesis 11. We see where it first happens. That's where your first world government leadership meeting took place, first United Nations. It was one world government at that time. And they built a tower and the idea was to make a name for themselves. It wasn't about really listening to God anymore, fulfilling his commands. By that time, right after the flood, the world began to rebel again. They began, as strange as that sounds, when God had to bring judgment on the world and, and flood the world, that, that here we're, we're going to wipe the slate clean and we're going to start all over again, that, that in Genesis 11 already they're back to rebelling against God as humans so often do. God gives us chance after chance after chance. And here in Babel, in Genesis 11, we see it for the first time. Babel becomes Babylon. And it becomes really the height of man's rebellion against God. And so when we see Babylon here, we know that it's in contrast to Jerusalem, God's holy city. And as you follow Babylon through the scriptures, we know that there's a time coming where Babylon will finally be judged ultimately. Now some think Babylon's going to be rebuilt. It's right there in modern day Iraq is the location of it. And they think it's going to be built again. That when Revelation speaks of it, that that's going to be a final judgment on that city, but at least it represents the world system. It represents everything that is opposed to God. It represents everything that is, 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 is um, against his purposes and plans for humanity, where Jerusalem would be God's holy city. So we see in the, the New Testament, Revelation chapter 17 and 18, 
Babylon is destroyed, totally destroyed. That's the end of it, and that's the end of history as we know it. Jesus is going to return. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. The saints are going to come back to him. But Jerusalem will continue. Jerusalem will continue. In Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so as you read uh, in the book of Revelation 21, 22, you see this new Jerusalem, God's holy city once again. Here in Daniel, verse 1, we see Babylon coming and taking Jerusalem captive. But at the end, it's the other way around, God destroying Babylon and us living in Jerusalem for the entirety of um, the rest of our lives, eternal. How many are going to be glad that we get to live eternally with the God who rules and reigns? Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977